Hello and welcome to the In Squash Podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Gibson, and today I had the great opportunity to speak to one of my squash heroes growing up, uh, Rodney Martin, a former World Open champion, three-time winner of the, the World Team Championships, uh, along with his Australian teammates, world number two, at, and played during an era that was arguably maybe the strongest uh, that we've ever seen. Obviously, he had to navigate uh, the likes of Jancher and Jahangir Khan, Rodney Isles, his brother Brett. Martin, Chris Robertson, the list goes on. There are so many great players that played during that time. And uh, Rodney comes on to talk about that era with me. The uh, In particular, we take a dig deep, deep dive on his 1991 World Open Championship where he defeated Chris Dittmar, Jansher Khan, and Jahangir Khan in that tournament, amongst others, to get uh, to get the win. What a victory that was, and uh, we look back at that. We take a look at uh, Jancher and Jahangir in particular and what it was like and how his experience uh, playing against the both of them. Uh, the World Team Championships that he won with Australia, a few uh, very interesting anecdotes there. And then obviously uh, Rodney's doing a lot of coaching these days. Uh, he's actually co been coaching uh, Mohamed Al-Shirbagi for a little bit, Abdullah Al-Tamimi, uh, Chris Hansen from the U.S., amongst others, and uh, doing a great job with those players and he talks about his philosophy on coaching and what he sees going on the good and the bad in terms of the coaching that's out there right now coaching uh, that's available for us uh, you know for the players on social media what his takes are on that as well and also Rodney uh, he's uh, been coaching at Chelsea Pier in uh, Connecticut and he tells us a bit more about uh, about that coaching situation and what's happening and the, the changes and the developments uh, going Going on there, so a really uh, fantastic uh, uh, chat here with Rodney, one of my heroes of the game. So sit back, relax, and enjoy episode 182 with Rodney Martin. Hey, Rodney. Hi. How are you? Hey, hey. How are you, sir? Good. 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 Uh, firstly, just let me say, uh, absolute honor to to be speaking with you today. I, I've always been a huge fan. Uh, you're a few years older than me, but when I was a, uh, before all the internet came about and before we had really uh, great access to, to watching squash, I, I used to watch all of your, your matches with the videos and uh, things that we used to have back in the day. But uh, amazing uh, to be speaking with you today and uh, hope everything's going okay for you and your family, uh, given the, the circumstances. Yeah, well, it's nice to be here. I mean, uh, I've, I've uh, heard a lot of your podcasts, and uh, really, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> that's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've listened to quite a few of them, so uh, um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what you really want to talk about today. Well, uh, I mean, obviously, uh, the, we, there's so much to talk about. Uh, I mean, you've got uh, obviously you've got the big uh, your your big move to uh, Chelsea Pier, uh, which is uh, definitely want to get into that. And uh, I've had a few of your players on. Maybe you've you've listened to a few of those podcasts. Uh, Chris Hansen, I think, came on. Uh, I've spoken yeah. to. Um, I'm not sure if a couple of oh of, of course uh, Mohammed El Shirbagi had the great opportunity to yeah. speak with him and you've been working with him and uh, yes yeah, so so that'd be fantastic if we could talk about that but obviously uh, before we get into that and I hope you don't mind uh, we got to look back at uh, what uh, an incredible uh, career you had as a player would you mind if we start there. No, no problem. <laughs> okay, <laughs> great. Yeah, well, I mean, you got to number two in the world, and uh, you just were you were an, it, playing during an era, and, and we talked about. I mentioned this in the message I sent to you that you know, arguably one of the best uh, eras of squash uh, that we've had. There, uh, some could say uh, we'll 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 get your thoughts on this. Maybe the the power nickel, beach hill, uh, all uh, John White. Uh, that era was very deep as well, but uh, yours was uh, equally, uh, if not more so. But uh, I, I'd like to just start, you know, the, I think the best place to start would be uh, to to look back at um, 1991 when you won that uh, the World Open. Uh, probably for a lot of the younger people listening here, they might, they'll, they'll know the names, but they might uh, not have realized that you won that and you, you beat uh, your, your compatriot uh, Ditz, Chris Dittmar, uh, quarterfinals should be Jansher Khan, uh, Jahangir Khan uh, to win the title. Uh, I think, was it Jahangir in the final? 
It was Jahangir in the final. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, uh, when so, you yeah, make, I mean, that, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's just an incredible uh, 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 victory. And given the names that I just listed off there, the best of the best, and then you win it. Uh, incredible. So take us back when you when you started that event uh, and you looked at the draw. I mean, I, when I look at an event and I look at the draw and I look at who I have to play, I, I think, okay, well, you know, pro, we'll see how it goes. But uh, what were you thinking when you saw the draw? <laughs> yeah, I mean. <laughs> Obviously, not delighted when I, you know, look at the draw and I've got to play Jankshire in the quarterfinals. Um, but at the time, I was ranked five in the world. So that was obviously a thing that could happen, that I was have to have to play one of those top three players in the quarterfinals. Um, and that was the case. But, um, you know, I had a lot uh, – uh, really before that event, there was, it was probably the best training block that I probably maybe ever did. Um there was a lot of players that came to Australia early. Chris Dittmar came up to Brisbane where the Institute was based um, uh, before the World Open. And there was a lot of good people to train with and, 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 and play with and practice with. And obviously to have those players around all the time, Rodney Isles, um, you know, Tristan, my brother Brett, there's some English players that came over as well. Mm-hmm. So there's a huge group of players around in Brisbane at the AIS where the um, Institute of Sport was based. And, um, you know, I, I spent... It would have been at least probably eight to 10 weeks before that event, you know, doing all the training that was necessary and probably, you know, probably was probably the fittest that I've ever been going into an event. Um, and then obviously playing it on your home soil, um, you know, you're, you're pretty excited about that. Um, so um, wasn't in my hometown, but um, that was Chris Dittmar's hometown. So that was um, satisfying beating yeah, him down there, obviously. Um, but uh, yeah, but yeah, as I said, going back and looking at the draw, yeah, obviously it's a difficult it's a difficult one because when you look at the draw and uh, when you know you've got to play Jankshire uh, in the quarters probably if if everything goes to plan um, and then you're looking at the other side of the draw and then you've got uh, you know you've got to play someone like Dits in the semis if it goes to plan and then you've got to try and then beat back up and probably have to try and beat your hang up because you know you're still dominating you know a lot of the tournaments and still winning a lot of the events so you're sort of planning on knowing that you're going to have to go through at least two or three of those players to win. And at the time, no one had ever done that before. So it was not something that was, uh, you know, you're thinking to yourself, well, yeah, yeah, I've got a good chance at this event. It's more like, you know, it really is taking it one match at a time. Um, and it's a bit of a cliche that people say, but when you're in an event like that and playing the players that you have got to play, you're not looking forward. You're, just, you're putting every, every effort and, and all your energy into one match, basically treating it as a final because that's basically what it is. So, um, and that's the way I went into it. Um, so and yeah, you, know, you know, you put in the work and, and you probably felt, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. And, and I'm just going to take one match at a time. Well, yeah, but I mean, again, it's just one of those things where I had beaten both, you know, Jahangir and Jankshire um, many times before all that. Um, so it wasn't like it was something new that I, that I didn't have the belief in myself that I could beat them. I just hadn't done it in the one tournament before and no one had. So um, that was the, that was the extra hurdle. And and that's probably made that not only winning the world open, but to have that distinction of being the only person ever to beat both Jahangir and Jankster in the same event, yeah. you know, probably is, he ranks up just as high as winning the world open really, because no one ever did it. So no one else did it. So, and then look, you know, you look back in those, those two players and, you know, they were just phenomenal players, um, you know, the, probably the best mover that's ever played the game in Jankshire and probably the most intense player that's ever played the game yeah. in a sense of the, the the pressure that he put on you was Janga, you know? So, so I mean, one of the questions I was going to ask you was, uh, you know, uh, was that, you know, comparing comparing Jankshire and, and Jahangir, uh, but but we'll get to that later. In, in that event, yeah. you mentioned earlier uh, you had to play Dits in front of his home hometown and that must have been uh, in front of his home fans uh, that must have been an absolute electric atmosphere at the time uh, there uh, having you know the way the match went obviously you won it uh, did the uh, did the hometown crowd uh, get uh, back you a- after that I'm sure they must have but well yeah no there's a lot of support obviously for me but th- I mean in that match itself in the semi-finals like he was he was totally out loud playing me. He was on top of me. He was all over me. Like, I think I lost the first game 15-5. And then I was down, I don't know, something like 11-3 or 4 or something in the second. Um, and, yeah, I just – everything sort of started clicking for me. Um, 
Yeah. And this was that type of player. Like, you know, he, he would go out there and, you know, as his career and one of the role models for me was, you know, was him growing up because he was on tour well and truly before I was on tour. Uh, even though he's only a year or two older than me, um, he went on tour when he was 16, I think, uh, whereas I didn't get on tour until I was like 19 or 20, really. So um, he he's a, he had a lot of experience. And the way he went about it was, you know, you, when you when you train with him and play with him and watch him in tournaments, like he had this mentality that he's not going to give his opponent one point, let alone a game or a match. Um, so, you know, he's trying to hammer me that day, thinking he's going to show me whatever and <laughs> it got to the point where it looked like it was going to happen, you know, down one love like it was, down 11-2 or something, or 11-3. Um, and, then, and then it clicked, you know, I just, you know, started playing um, a little better, more attacking. And um, after the match, his coach came up to me, uh, Lenny Atkins, who I would say didn't have um, – we had a lot of rivalry between me and Ditz when we were on tour. And, uh, you know, Lenny always thought, you know, Ditz was better than me and all this sort of stuff. So, uh, But he did come up and say – you know, that uh, when I was down in the second, he said, from that point, he said that I didn't make a mistake going short. So I didn't, I don't, I don't remember that, you know, the, how the match went in that sense, but that's what he told me. So um, that's probably made the big difference about, you know, winning that match in the end, basically. So, and that was definitely the hardest match of the week for me. Mm-hmm. Um, not only pretty physical, but mentally, you know, to try and fight back from that deficit to, to, to end up winning in four um, and not and not going to five even um, was huge for the final um, just to have the energy that I had left and um, be able to take on Jahanga, you know. If it went to five, who knows, maybe I wouldn't have had the same, you know, the same energy the next day um, and, uh, you know, I was ready to play the final. Having beaten uh, Jatra, though, prior to that in the quarters, I mean, that must have given you some serious momentum uh, going forward. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, it's one of one of those things, it was funny when I had, you know, when I did play Janksher and beat him, I did beat him three love quite a few times. And I sort of had the ability, you know, to get on top of him. And I think he sort of, you know, he dropped his head against me quite a few times. And, you know, and I, you know, I've, I've heard him say, you know. For anyone who's listening, I mean, uh, I mean, uh, you just had, you were an incredible, like your brother, uh, incredible shot maker, just a very quick uh, around the court and, and uh, great wrist, great uh, deception. Was that something that perhaps uh, maybe you and maybe even only Brett could uh, could manage and to to give Jancher trouble at that time? Was that a game? That yeah, I mean, I think I think I, I, I learned that, that you know, you know, my game was you know molded around attacking and using deception, um, as well as you know trying to hit good lengths to create those positions that I needed to be deceptive. Um, and you don't get much credit for your length hitting, but I think that I've got, you know, when I played, I hit the ball, you know, pretty good length all the time and attacking length, um, which then set me up those positions to take advantage of it as a shot player. Um, and I learned early on that I had to, when I'm, I'm going to beat Janksha, I'm not going to outrun him. Um, yeah, so it's like I have to outplay him. And one thing that I, you know, really focused on was once I decided I had an opportunity I wasn't going to hit a soft drop or like a working shot. It would have to be, I'm going to hit a winner. And I'd probably hit more winners against him than anybody, you know, because I did have that slight quick delay. I could hit the ball pretty hard from that delayed position. And whether it be short or long, little trickle boast fast and things like that. And when I went short with my drop shots, it was more a really cut, really severe um, drop that I wouldn't allow him the chance to run after it. Um, so that's so that, that's that the type of stuff. Sense. I mean, I mean, when I mean, obviously, you've I've never played him, but I've, I've watched his matches many times, and he just, like you said earlier, his movement. He he like walks around the court. Yeah. So again, you got to <laughs> you got to come to terms with that, and he does pick up. Yeah, you, know, you watch him play, and you think shit, he gets every ball back. But when you actually get on court, and if you if you hit the right type of shots, you you can yeah, no no one can get every ball back. So that's the way I went on there. And look, yeah, it's there's margin for error is very is very small. So you really have to be, you know, on your game to play against someone like that with the attacking style that I had, being aggressive with the short, with hitting short, really firm drops. Um, so yeah, so some days, yeah, I made more mistakes and lost, but there was other days that I felt like I didn't miss very often and made him feel very uncomfortable. And those days, he he, he didn't think he, he was going to win, basically. So. You know, I'd, I'd win those matches three love in, in in that circumstance because I was hitting the ball well, moving well, and wasn't making the unforced errors on some other days. So, um, 
it's a bit of a risky um, game plan, but um, it was a game plan that I needed to play because I, I just knew I wasn't going to, you know, outrun him if you like. Um, so, you know, I mean, and I'd know, say that's some, something that I would say something that, that um, Chris did not, right? I mean, that that's sorry, what was that? It just seems to me that that's the type of game your game there is the type of game when you're playing your at a at a high level, uh, it's going to give him trouble. Would give, yeah. Him. I mean, I think. Yeah, well, yeah. I, you know, I hope I showed that I gave everybody trouble. You know, when I played well, um, but um, especially um, someone like Gang, who was a you know was an unbelievable mover. You know, I had to work out how I'm going to how you're going to beat someone like that, and um, and it, it mean it meant to be precision hitting basically about you know your technique, your movement. I wasn't the fastest player on tour, but whatever speed I had, I had to use maximum effort to get my feet in the right position, to my body in the right position and made sure I can play the shot that I want to play in the way I want to play it rather than being slower to the ball, lunging and reaching, and then I can't play the shot. Then he can read everything, and then he's just going to be running me out. Like, just, you know, it's just become a, a, a slow death, basically. <laughs> right on. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, that world up. And then, then obviously, you, you beat Jahangir uh, in the final. Uh, that's a different uh Different game plan, isn't it? I mean, as you said earlier. Yeah, I mean, I, and that's that's one of the things about you know, like a, it's more a mental thing against um, Jahangir for me. It was at that at that point. Um, you know, I had played him in three British Open finals and lost all three. Um, so you know, getting to a big final again and you know having those losses in those big finals, um, even though I've beaten him in other tournaments and won some other tournaments against him, but uh, you know, World Open biggest tournament of the year. Um, yeah, it was more of that mental hurdle getting over, you know, taking the taking the chances that I had, and um, on that day it uh, all worked out and um, ended up winning the title. So that was pretty pretty uh, satisfying. Absolutely. Now you also won uh, three World Team Championships, and you, as you mentioned earlier, you listed off uh, all the all the Aussie greats there. Uh, you won three, and I'm sure all three of them are, are quite meaningful to you. But which one, uh, in your mind, sticks out the most in terms of uh, you know being the most special or, or the one that you remember uh, uh, the most? Um, probably the one in Singapore, um, um, where it was a funny week. Um, the, the, the little story, you know, leading into that week, um, we went from the Malaysian um, Malaysia in the World Open and flew uh, to Singapore after the event. And uh, I was I, we were, myself and my brother were in the team, and uh, Brett and uh, we decided to get some food. Walked out of the hotel, walked down the street, and uh, these the whole class of school kids started were walking towards us on the pavement. So Brett was on the right side of me on the, on the, just next to the road. He decided to just step onto the road and walk around this sign that was in the middle of the footpath. I decided I'm going to duck under the sign and he's going to walk around it. I ducked under the sign, but I didn't realise it had two posts, but it had a triangle at the back of it with no post at the back. And I've come up too early and I've split my head open with a rivet that's gone straight through my head and I've had to get 15 stitches that day. So I'm walking down the street with my hand, like hold my head together and just blood pouring out of my head. So then, so then I had to go to the hospital being there. I couldn't move my neck the next day. Um, so I, I had the first two days off out of that event, not playing the early rounds. Um, but then obviously came back and then for, for Dits to beat um, Jahangir in that, that, that event, uh, Chris Chris Robinson to beat Zarek, and then I went on and f- finished off beating um, Janksha in the final match. But um, it was yeah, it was one of those special events that um, obviously Jahangir and Janksha were playing their best. You know, they were sort of at their peak. You know, with both of them on tour at that point, and to go in there beating the number one and two in the world, um, you know, as a team um, was just what, yeah. What was it was, um, team? I mean, to be able to go in there and beat those guys. I mean, Janksha and Jahangir. I mean, that that's like what. They call that the dream team, right? Uh, uh, well, yeah, uh, but again, one thing that I would say, I mean, the most important thing that we had as a group was just we had a ball, like, as a team. It was just fun to be there. And, like, we we were competitive against each other on tour as individuals. But, boy, when we went to things together, and even on tour, like, we would have, you know, say me and Ditz, we were, you know, pretty strong rivals on the singles, you know, when we played on, on the tour. But when we were to get after events and as a group of Aussies on tour, that we had a real um, strength of numbers and we all hung together. We all did things together. 
transfer. And I'm sure, you know, I don't know what other people say about that era, um, about playing us Australians, but I would think they'd find it pretty difficult to play, you know, week in, week out. We all had this attitude that we're going to beat everybody. Um, and this was, you know, definitely the leader of that role, you know, that uh, role model in that, like I said, he's, the way he went about his squash and the way he went out to dominate everybody he played every single match, um, you know, he just didn't give an inch. And, you know, he, he was one of the guys that led that, that younger generation through um, just that mentality. And to have him on the team and doing things like that was, you know, fantastic. And as I said, we had a ball as a team. Um, we all got on really well. We always, there was, you know, there was some great parties after the event. And, uh, you know, so. Aussie, yeah. Aussie, Aussie, right? Well, that's right. You know, and I think that's, you know, not only, it was, a, it, was a, it was, it gave us a mental strength on tour, I think as well. Well, um, you know, having us together, there was a, there was a large group of Aussies playing, even the younger generation coming through, you know, we all stuck together, you know, you'd all help each other. You'd all help the younger guys coming through when they're on tour. Um, so yeah, it was a pretty special time for, you know, not only, a, you know, the tour itself, but I think Australian squash at that time was probably the strongest it's ever been basically. Yeah. What about uh, the, the Pakistani team? I mean, obviously, Jancher and Jahangir, I mean, we don't really know how close they were. They were obviously quite, there was quite a rivalry there too. Do you think that spilled over into the, the dynamic of, of their team? Well, I think so. I think we, we did hear some rumblings at different times where there was some sort of, you know, sort of infighting about who's, who, who should be number one in the team, you know? Yeah. So, um which, you know, we don't, we didn't worry about any of that. We just went out to try and beat them. So, you know, if they were squabbling about that sort of stuff, well, that's up to them. But, um, you know, as I said, we were just, you know, bonding as a team. We went there to, and we, you know, we'd play for each other, you know, it was, and we, not only that, the coaches that we had, like Ken Hisco was a part of the team for a long period of time and the respect that all the players had for him and, and the way he went about just, you know, bonding the team and, and talking to the team and, and getting us to just just to bring out the best in us was, you know, it was really, really special as well. Did, uh, did Tristan, did you play on any teams with, with Tristan during that time? Uh, no, he, he never made a team that I was part of, no. Okay. So, yeah, that would, that would have been quite a, an, an addition uh, to the dynamic of the team, no doubt. Yeah. Well, again, I mean, there's all personalities like that, but, you know, the, at the time there was, you know, Chris Dittmar, myself, Chris Robinson, my brother, Rodney Isles. So all those sort of, you know, you see you've got a lot of people to choose from and, you know, fighting for those, the, the top three or four spots, you know, so. I mean, that's just Australia. Uh, I mean, you've, you had seven, eight, nine guys that were just uh, very, very strong players. Talk about, uh, I mean, obviously that era was very deep. Um, how would you compare uh, your era and, and that around your era to those, uh, to the, your successors, I guess, uh, the current era, maybe those in the past? I, I would argue that, um, like I mentioned earlier, that, you know, the Power, Nickel, White, uh, Lin Ku, Beechill, Darwish uh, era was, was uh, you know, very deep as well. I mean, any one of those guys could have won, and others, Shabana, uh, any one of those guys could have won. A, a tournament uh, similarly uh, back during your era, although Jahangir and Jansher did win most of them every, you know, there were so many very good players just below that. Uh, what, yeah. what are your thoughts on that? Oh, look, I mean, it's, I mean, there's always, an, you know, everyone likes stuff talking about and, and comparing yeah. eras and things like that. You know, you talk about, you know, people talk about the game, you know, being faster and different, whatever the, the, the equipment, the courts, I mean, I look back at when I was playing on tour, we, we started playing the first year I was on tour, we started playing on a lower tin. People don't even know that we played on a lower tin, you know, for the, when I was on tour, they, they, they asked me questions. Now I still get people ask me, did I ever play on a lower tin? We, you know, basically when I went on tour, I played the first year, played the Gila Roche French open. That was one of the first tournaments that went to a lower tin, um, 15 inch. And if I, I would say it's probably more difficult to play, when I was playing in the, in the era that I played in, in a sense of the courts, because you're dealing with, not only are you dealing with um, glass courts, you're dealing with perspex courts, which are totally different to the glass courts. The perspex courts are slower. So the court becomes longer. The ball stays shorter. Um, you know, the, the glass courts are a little more lively off the front wall. Um, you play your first round. Sometimes you played on a high tin on a normal club. Then you'd have to go the next day and play on a low tin on a perspex court in the stadium. So there's more things that you have to deal with, I think, than you do these days. Um, then, 
you look at you know the equipment, the rackets, and all that sort of stuff. People talk about the rackets and you know whatever. Um, I would say you can talk about all the things you want, scoring, whatever. What makes a great player has got nothing to do with the courts, the equipment, whatever. It's 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 how they think about the game. And if you've played at the highest level and you've coached at you know the highest level, you can see which players have got a great understanding of the game, a great way they read the game well. They've got great technical skills. They've got great physical skills, which would, you know, get them by in any era. So you can overlap and you can talk about certain players that would, would be very, very good in any era that you talk about. Um, and people want to put it into these contexts of rackets and, you know, you know whatever. They, they seem to think that that's going to make the biggest thing. It doesn't make the biggest. It's it, it, it player itself, and you can see the way they read the game. I'll give you an example. You tell me, Jerry, um, someone like um, James Wilstrop. Do you think he would be in the top 30 movers in the game in the last 30 years? Uh, no. Exactly. And that's nothing to say, nothing against James. Yeah. All I'm saying is that if the game has sped up so much, yeah. he, has, he, has, he has done so well and he's not one of the great movers of the game. The reason why he's done so well is because of his racket skill, his, his squash brain, the way he thinks about playing the way, he, the way he's got the ability to adapt in a match. And he's been successful at doing that. And you can tell someone like him can play probably in any era because of that, that the way he works out things like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I just don't see that, that the, um, there's an argument and you can talk about all different players. I see certain things that have happened that people talk about, oh, do you think they'll beat Janksha? And I can tell you now the way I play Janksha how how you know, dynamic you have to hit the ball short. And, you know, I had a lot of wins against him, you know, combined, I don't know, against Janksha and Jahanga. Like I think I sent, I, sent, I sent a message to you that I probably beat them 16 or 18 times, you know what I mean? And most other players had one win against them, if that, you know what I mean? So um, I, will, I, will, I will learn how to, how to, how to beat those guys. Um, I, didn't, I didn't do it all the time. But when I look at other players now, you look at some of the players that play the way they play their drops, um, they float their drops in, they're pushing their drops and things like that. Someone like Janksha will just lap that up every, and he'll just outrun them for sure. So it, it, you, you can't give someone like him time to run to the ball and do what he wants, you know, get the ball back and retrieve. Because guess what? He's going to retrieve it all day. He's better, better than you. He's fitter than you. He's, he, you know, he can hit the ball well. So it's like he's going to outlast guys that do that. So I can see a lot of people that play the game today. I've, you know, someone like a Tarek floats the ball in all the time or things like that. I mean, I just don't see that beating someone like a Jangsha who's, who will, who will pick up every one of those shots, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. No, they, uh, I mean, the game, like you, I, I think what maybe another element to this too, is the, as you mentioned, the, the tins are lower, the, uh, a bit lower, uh, the, the technology things are a little bit faster in terms of the game. That's just the way the game is today. So that's the way the players generally play the game today uh, that that's the way they have to play the game there you just have to be maybe working on your quickness uh, and move around be a little bit quicker uh, around the court well yeah yeah but I like but, but I go back to the same argument about saying someone like a James Wilstrop I would even say yeah. someone like a Nick Matthew who achieved unbelievable amount in his career he he, he wouldn't be listed as one of you know, I wouldn't list him as anywhere near one of the better movers that ever played the game no. but they learn how to play within their parameters and they get very good at what they can do to not expose themselves. So they've got great squash brains. They've got, you know, they, they hit the ball accurately in the way they hit it. Not all techniques are the same, but they've learned how to keep the ball, you know, out of the middle of the court, not give angles and well, dominate in certain parts of the game. He refers to it, uh, he, but, uh, his super strength. He, uh, that, that's kind of one of the buzzwords these days. Focuses on uh, what his uh, super strength. I guess that would have been, you know, hitting the ball early in front of the, the center court line. Uh, volley yeah. and James, yeah. as you mentioned, just uh, placement of the ball, his touch, his length, uh, you know, was every is everything for him. It's just amazing. But yeah, that. But you're working with uh, or have been uh, had been lately uh, working with Mohammed El Sherbagi. Uh, uh, how did that uh, relationship? Uh, I know it just started maybe about two years ago or so. Uh, how how did that all begin? And uh, what's it been like working with with Mohammed? He's such a an incredible player, incredible talent, and uh, as we all know, uh, works really, really hard at, at his craft. 
Yeah, look, I mean, he contacted me um, through actually um, Peter Creed, who was working with him in Bristol for a bit, uh, training there. Um, Peter's been over, you know, with me here in America a few times, training with me in Australia a few times. And Muhammad asked him, you know, about getting in contact with me. Um, I think Peter said, you know, he should contact me. They sort of had a conversation about it. So that's how it all started. And then um, obviously he contacted me and, then it was just a matter of meeting. Um, even though I've, you know, I've coached against him and watched him play and working out how my players that I work with can beat him. <clears throat> so obviously I know a lot about his game. Um, well, you know, what I think about it. Um, and um, it was a matter of, you know, getting together, talking about things, seeing how open he was to change, um, you know, making sure that, uh, you know, you're sitting down analysing, you know, what he wants to get out of it, Um and whether he was open to, you know, the biggest thing, whether he was going to be open to change about not only his, the way he played, I think, but the, the technical side of things and a few, you know, a few things like that. And he was so open about everything. He wanted to get better. He said that he, he knew that he, he, he couldn't sustain playing in the way he was playing, which was pretty one-dimensional, yeah. um, you know, that, yeah, go into beast mode and let's see if someone can keep up with me, basically, you know. So, um, that's not sustainable if he wants to keep playing into his early 30s. Um, so it was, it was talking about all that sort of stuff, about trying to change the way he thought about the game and obviously coming up with game plans against you know lots of different players that he could play different styles of squash and be more effective against them um, rather than just going out thinking about power. Yeah, yeah, he still does slip back into that you know, mode sometimes when he gets in trouble. Um, you know, he, he tries to overpower the player which, you know, gets him in trouble sometimes. Um, but, uh, you know, I think he's got a lot better in, in, in you know, working out how to, how to play certain people, looking at strengths and weaknesses of players, which I think I've given him that opportunity to look at it a bit differently. Um, you know, I, I talked to him about his brother one day, about when he had to play his brother, and uh, talked about one of the weaknesses that I picked up with his brother's game, and he said he's been practising with him for how many years, and he said he didn't, re- didn't realise until I showed it to him. <laughs> that he actually has got a weakness in this this particular area, yeah. and uh, you know it was surprising to him that he didn't hasn't picked up on it basically. You know, so again, it's just things like that that I that I picked up that helped him un, um, you understand different aspects of the game, and uh, it's been great working with him basically. Um, you know, I've really enjoyed it. I think he's enjoyed working with me. Um, it's been you know brutally honest sometimes about what needs to happen and needs to change in someone's game. Um, it's refreshing to hear that, you know, the, uh, the best player in the world right now is open to, you know, criticism and open to, to listening to, uh, to, to changing uh, his game. Uh, that, that's well, quite, again, it's not, it's, it's, it's constructive criticism. Constructive and, criticism. You know, I mean, I mean that, yeah, that leads me into, you know, uh, a little article that was published by squash player magazine not long ago that they, they did an article on in the latest magazine. And there was something published on, um, you know, Facebook about the article being on in this month's edition. There was a one line taken from the article and yeah, published. Was the, and, I was going to, yeah. What was the the issue with that one? Uh, what was well, the just the, the people people jumped on, basically saying that, you know, I, I think the one line. I can't remember exactly what it was, but something about when you start talk, talking with players that come and see uh, me, that they've got a they've got pretty much an overinflated opinion about how many how good they are winning rallies by here outright winners and things like that so that so they've really got this opinion about whether they win those a large percentage of their points by their skill of hitting shots and hitting winners or their their opponents mistakes and the, the article you know wasn't about that it was about other things as well but that you know they hadn't even read, read the article they jump online complain about you know the, the the one sentence which can be taken out of context if you just read it like that but do you honestly think that Muhammad El Shabagi is coming to me for me to sit there and tell him how good he is, yeah. no chance. He wants he wants me to you know critique his game and 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 show him where he's you know, weak, where he hasn't thought about things, where he can improve. Well, I mean, I, I and, mean, and that's for that. I, I, um, Chris Hansen came on the podcast, and uh, you you yeah. listened to it. He, he he pretty much said he was dreading going to one of your sessions. He's like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just in terms of the physical uh, things that you were, it, it was all tongue in cheek, right? But uh, just yeah. saying, I had to get up and go go train with with uh, with Rodney. We had a tough session going, uh, and he, he said yeah. he enjoyed them. But he, you know, basically, yeah, he knew it was going to be a hard, hard, hard day. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, this is where people don't, you know, especially young athletes that that 
that think mm-hmm. they're achieving something and they get they get stagnant at a ranking of like 100 or 120 or 80 in the world and they haven't got the you know people say that they haven't got enough belief in themselves and I, I say I say the opposite I said they're, they're the ones that aren't listening they're not finding the right person that yeah. is 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 working out what they need to do to change or they they haven't worked out themselves what type of player they need to be to achieve their ultimate goal um, or, or or bring out their best potential. They're they're looking at other things and trying to be a player that they shouldn't be because they want to be they want to be seen as hitting all these shots or all these skillful things or trying to delay the ball and things like that, which just gets them in trouble. And you've got to be honest about it. do you have the skill to do that? And there's not very many players that you see throughout the years that have got that, that ability to to think about the game like that. So you've got to tell them, you've got to start playing a different way. If you want to achieve something, you're going to have to work harder. You're going to have to be you know, more attritional. You have to be how accurate you're hitting the ball um, to length and not opening up the court to expose your movement or you don't read the game as well as some of the, you know, the top players. And it might only be a 10, 20% difference you can see in someone reading the game, but that's a huge difference if you want to be in, ranked in the top 10. So you've got to work in other areas twice as hard. Right. So what you were saying about uh, the comment that the, the the snippet that was taken out of the magazine, they, they basically it, it was saying that uh, you were just teaching guys to, to play. Basically being negative. Well, no, no just be a bit of this. Basically, they jumped on board sort of talking negative about the, the, the sentence and about the and, and without even reading the article or whatever. And obviously, people are making comments about they know me as a coach and how I coach and very few people apart from the people that I work with don't even know what I do as a coach because I, I don't publicize, I don't publish things. Yeah, I, mean, on, we, we, I think, I mean, there's some coaches that are out there that are in the pub that, that are out there and people know what they're doing. Yeah. They're online, they're doing social media, they're at the yeah. event, and, uh, but, but you're certainly people know that you're coaching uh, some big name players, but uh, you kind of keep a low profile, I, I would say. Well, yeah, I mean, I try. I mean, again, I think it's very dangerous that you know the the, the social media stuff and the the internet has has been a great in some respects, but it's been you know it's, it's harmful in other ways because you know people believe because someone's posting something that they're telling you how to do something correctly, and it could be completely the opposite to really the way things should be done, you know. So. But because it's on the internet, people start believing it. What's that? What's that? I hope you haven't seen any of my coaching videos. Well, no, I mean, I try not to worry about doing that. But, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, again, it is, it is one of those things that's, that yeah. it's, it's a bit of a dangerous game. You know, yeah. like people, you know, they, get, they get misinformation, um, stuff like that posting. Um, it's really, look, one of the things about coaching that I've always, is, you know, it's about, yeah, you've got to be honest with the players, but you've got to go out there and show them why you're telling them to do something. And if you can prove that and you can go out there and show them yourself about like, I can hit the ball as well as, you know, I can hit the ball as well as anybody still, um, you know, when I, when I hit with them, with Shabagi or anybody. So Abdullah, whatever. I mean, there's, there's so many things that um, I, I, I can still, you know, feed accurately all the time and things like that, no matter how hard they're hitting the ball. So it's one of those things where I can go out and show them the actual way that I want this done. And that doesn't mean you, 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 I'm telling them to hit the ball the way I hit the ball. I just want the outcome to be what this outcome is. And it could be an angle they're trying to hit. It could be, a you know, are they thinking about the right angle from a certain position? Um, are they thinking about the right height? Are they thinking about, you know, you know whatever it is, it's about them using what they've got but to, to, to get the outcome that we need for them to be better players, basically. So, um and there is there is fundamental things that you need to follow. I think there's um, everyone's got their little idiosyncrasies in their swing, but one you know if you if you understand you know the technique of hitting a ball and how you're trying to generate racketed speed, then there are some fundamental things that have to work well. And if you do that well, you can, you can you can become an accurate, powerful hitter without without having to use much effort to hit the ball hard. So you know you look at someone like the big easy in golf, you know, Ernie Els, like he looks like he's hardly even swinging at the ball and he like, he hits it a mile. You know what I mean? So that's the sort of, you know, and then you look at someone like Jim Furyk who, you know, would you teach someone how to hit the ball like Jim Furyk? No, I wouldn't do that. But, but he gets gets away with it. I've been told at my club that's, uh, that I swing like Jim Furyk. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but again, it's like, you've got to have the belief in your technique. You know what I mean? 
whatever so works. It doesn't really matter. Whatever works, you've got to groove that technique to a certain level, but there could be some fundamental flaw in your technique which doesn't allow you to be consistent. So yeah. if you've got a coach that can identify that without breaking down everything the way you swing and wants you to swing like a textbook, you know, whatever, you know, swing you see in a textbook, um, that's the that's the most important thing. And um, I've probably had that ability to do that with a lot of different players, even though that, um, you know, I get a comment quite a bit that people know the players that I've coached. And I think that's an absolute positive thing because yeah. it shows you that the technique's pretty similar and they've worked on things to look that way. And they've worked on things to be grooved. And most of the players that I've worked with are pretty accurate hitters of the ball. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Uh, you mentioned Abdullah Al-Tamimi. I mean, he's a, he's a young guy that, you know, he's recently started playing very well. Maybe a, a few years ago, he sort of had a few, uh, few big wins on the big stage. Uh, and this is someone from part of the world that hasn't really produced uh, much squash talent, but he, he's been playing well lately. Talk about his game a little bit and the, and the work you've done with him. Uh, how are things going with him? No, everything's progressing, you know, at a, I would say at a slower rate than everyone would want in a sense. Um, I mean, it's difficult. I got involved with him through Jeff Hunt, who was working at the Aspire Academy in, in Qatar. Yeah. Um, he asked me to get involved, you know, trying to develop him as a younger player. So I've been involved with him for a number of, you know, five or six years now and um, or longer. And, um, you know, it, it's been a slow process in some respects. Um, he's got a lot of talent. You know, I, I honestly believe he, you know, he's got the talent to be a top 10, top five player um, with all his attributes. Um, but there's still uh, something missing between his ears now and again. Um, you know, he, he needs to get that toughness, um, that week in, week out competitor that doesn't like, you know, doesn't allow him to have those those losses that he has in some some instances um and that again that uh, that's just because i think that does that come from maybe the fact that he's sort of the you know by head you know head over heels better than anyone in his country does it come from from that like just being always being uh, the top dog where where he came from does he sort of have a sense of it maybe i wouldn't say he has one but there that might be part of it uh well, I think that's that's the difficult side about him you know, when he, his development. And it, look, he's, he's he's developed into a great player from a country that hasn't really produced many players. So he's been, you know, he hasn't had these this competition to play as a you know as a young athlete to come through, and he's got all these great players to play against, like Egypt. So you know, he's had to find ways of developing his game, traveling more, maybe getting some players to come there, whatever. But it, it's not a you know it's not a consistent theme at. Um, in Qatar where they've got, you know, a never ending um, list of, you know, really good athletes to train with. So um, they're trying to improve that obviously, um, but it has been difficult at different times. And I think that probably has slowed down his development in that, in that sense, because he is by far the best player there. So, you know, he needs to get out and probably get out of Qatar, which he's been doing over the last three or four years to come into America with me, coming to Australia to get him, you know, in a different environment to try and get him to that hardness, you know, in, in his mentality about training and playing every day. You know, he, he'd be away and train for three or four weeks and you could see he's getting homesick. You know, this is like five or six years ago, but he's got so much more mature about being away, about this is his job, this is what it's about. So, I mean, I think, you know, I think he's still got a huge amount of potential over the next sort of five years to to really achieve his goals. Um and I think it's only just scratching the surface now with, you know, what he believes he can do and, you know, what he's got the ability to do. So, yeah, uh, for him, it, it just looks like right now a lot of it is confidence, right? Because he's shown that he can, you know, he can take games, he can take the, the top players deep into matches and then just sort of just seems well, to fall I don't off, know. Fall I don't know. I don't know if he lacks confidence. I mean, sometimes I think that's probably the biggest problem that he that he's overconfident in the sense of what he – again, goes back to the same thing we've talked about before, is that, you know, the way he goes about playing the game is he wants to hit outright winners to win matches. And it's, he's not into, he hasn't learned how to accumulate pressure in a match to get a lot of mistakes out of his opponent because he's so accurate. He's so quick. He's not, he's getting onto the ball. He's putting pressure on somebody. He's not hitting the tin. So he needs to learn that part of the game. And, yeah, some people see that as being taking the the flair and the skill and, and out of his game. Not at all. It's like 
that's how you have to play at the top level. You cannot go on the court thinking that you're just going to throw in all these shots and just hit winner after winner after winner and win the match. You're not going to do that. So you have to be the, – the, the, the higher level of player you play, in some sense, you've got to be more negative in a sense because you cannot take the ball in short when you don't really have a great opportunity. You can't create angles because they're going to hurt you from those positions. You, you've got to be more cautious about when you do things and people perceive that as being a negative style. I said, no, that's just the style you have to play. If you want to be the best in the world, that's how you got to play. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, uh, no he's de- definitely, uh, if he starts extending the rallies a bit, he's going to give himself even better opportunities to, to showcase. Well, he's shown that. He's shown that in some of these matches. And he's shown that in some of these matches where he's had opportunities to beat players that he has, you know, rallied more. He stuck to game plans a bit more and he's given himself opportunities to beat people like Tarek and people like that over the last few seasons. He, he hasn't got over the line, but he's got very close to beating those guys. So um, it shows he has got the ability to do it. It's a matter of putting it all together week in, week out, not this sporadic one week here, couple of bad weeks, another good week, a couple of bad weeks. You know what I mean? We want it to be a consistent really building on every tournament and saying, right, and you're getting closer and closer to beating those guys regularly um, and, and, and going from there. Uh, well, keep up the good fight because he's, uh, he's one of the more exciting guys out there to watch. I always enjoy it. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's great for the tour. I mean, everyone loves watching him play the way he moves and, you know, what he does and how much he's skill got he's got, got when, he's, when, he's, got when he's on. Character too. He's got a great character. That's right. He's a fun guy to be around and, you know, he's always, he's always happy, um, you know, so it's, it, he's good for the tour. He's good to be around and, you know, I love coaching him because he's, you know, he's a good, he's a good guy, you know? Perfect. Perfect. Now uh, you touched on it briefly uh, a few minutes ago, but uh, just in terms, I'd like to get your, your thoughts on uh, the availability now of, uh, of squash coaching online. You mentioned it earlier and you shouldn't trust everything uh, that, that you see online. You have to be you know, a bit more resourceful. Uh, what are your thoughts on what's uh, basically what's available out there now uh, for you know, for the average player, you know, if you're looking for co well, in, in gen- Yeah, I mean, in, in general, it's been fantastic. Like, you've got, you know, squash TV and, like, people can watch squash whenever they want now. Yeah. I mean, for, for coaching, it's unbelievable for those sorts of things where you can analyse people's games. You don't really have to be at the not, event. Right? Yeah, yeah you, you don't have to be at the event. And you can still, you know, keep up to date with what's going on. Um, you know, if I'm not if I'm not travelling with the players, you can you can watch the matches and you can talk, you know, talk about – you know, what's gone on in those matches that night with them in the hotel and they, you know, talking about what they did well, what they didn't do so well, you know. So all that sort of stuff is so helpful as a coach. Um, but, you know, as I said, there's there's a lot of people posting lots of things online um, and I just, you know, I just say for the public to be wary about, you know, really look into, you know, what they're saying. Does it make sense when you try it? Does it feel weird? You know, so, you know, is it, is it, is it, 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 there's lots of things out there that I think there's some misconceptions. A lot of coaches, they, um, they try and come up with almost like a gimmick of of how people swing or move and they sort of get known for that sort of gimmick. But when it really comes down to analyzing the way people move and hit the ball when they're actually playing a match, some of these coaches that talk like that don't even do it themselves, even though they say they do. So, I think you just got to be, you know, careful about what, you know, what you're, what you're taking in, you know, research it properly. Um, and, you know, I would say, you know, try a few different coaches for you, especially for people that want to learn and get better, try a few different coaches. There'll be someone out there that clicks with you, not only understands what you're trying to work on, but understands, the, you know, the technical side of things or, you know, the, the strategy in which you want to play or can break your game down to give you some better information rather than just, you know, listening to someone because they've posted something, you know? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a lot of really good stuff. I, I think uh, squash skills is one place where uh, I think they utilize. Uh, obviously, Peter's got uh, he knows a yeah. lot of people, and uh, he gets quite a few uh, big name coaches on there. You know, telling what you know, giving their thoughts on certain aspects of the game. And you've yeah, got- and, and that's great for people to understand the way you know the way that they've gone about their their, their game, what they've what they've learned themselves. You know how they've done. It could be just a solo practice thing, what they got good at, and how they how they practice trying to be accurate and things like that, which you know a lot of the general public don't know or you know things to do in that respect. So um, all that information is great, and you know it's it's fantastic for squash to have that forum to for, for people to learn and do things. But as I said, there's still 
a lot of misinformation out there that can probably harm people's game, you know, as much as help it as well. So just be careful about what you're, what you're taking in and who you're, you're listening to and, and what you're trying to work on. Right on. Now, uh, now Rodney, you, uh, you've just uh, taken on a new, a new role. I'm not sure if it's a co- uh, it's coaching or management, but you're moving uh, to, or have moved to Chelsea Pier uh, and their squash facility. So if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, yeah, I've been, I've been involved. Well, yeah. I've been involved with their there a few years. Um, we sort of did a deal with them um, where I was go, you know, using the facility to, to coach the pro players that I work with um, okay. over the, you know, in the last few years. Um, um, they don't have a head pro at the moment, um, the director of squash there. Um, we, I've gone in there with Rod Martin squash with uh, Ryan Cuskelly himself, and now Campbell Grayson has also joined okay. us. Through, he's just retired, so he's going to be there as well. Um, so we're going to have a great group of players, ex-players and now coaches to to be a part. And Chris Binney's involved there a little bit as well. Okay. Um, so, try, so trying to get, um, you know, sort of the best Rory people Mackle around. Like. Exactly. Doesn't play <laughs> golf. Doesn't play golf. Anything like Rory McIlroy, I can tell you that. Um, <laughs> um, uh, but, uh, yeah, so anyway, so Chelsea's been, you know, it's like a we've done sort of an agreement where, uh, up until March, we've got uh, sort of a partnership organised. Um, and at the moment, I'm just talking to management again now just to, to sort of, you know, change that into something more formal and more uh, longstanding. Um, but uh, that's still to be decided upon and negotiations. So, uh, but look, you know, I've enjoyed being a part of that that club. Um, you know, we've got some good things happening there. And, um, you know, I think it's a great facility in the area. It's got 11 it's courts great, plus a doubles a court. Assembled there. I mean, you, Campbell. Yeah, I think, I think you know, we've got, we're going to have the best, you know, I think we're going to have the best, you know, team around the area. So um, it's a matter of uh, just building the name, um, um, building the name and the profile back up of Chelsea Piers program, um, which I think we've got the right people to do that. Um, it's, it's not the best time to try and start a new business venture in a sense of trying to get people to come to a venue and change out of their little bubbles that they're in at their clubs at the moment. So um, everyone's realistic about that as well, that it's going to take some time because of that, especially with the COVID stuff that's going on. Um, so, you know, hopefully by, you know, September this year, everything sort of gets back to some sort of normality at the moment. There's no junior tournaments or pro tournaments really around the place. So, what, that's really what we have uh, in place right now in terms of playing. Is it just what's that? what what protocol do you have in in place at the moment? There are you allowed to play? Uh, yeah, yeah, everyone can play. You have got to play with a mask on. Um, okay. So yeah, so we can do things like that. Um, but yeah, you can't run tournaments and all that sort of stuff. So um, there's there's things that still have to be adhered to with protocols and things like that. How many people you can have in the venue, um, mm-hmm. things like that. But it is a big venue, so. Um, when things do ease a little bit, there'll be things that we can do that maybe other clubs can't. Um, and, you know, I'm really looking forward to running some camps actually um, in August, in the last week of July and all through August, I'm going to run some camps and hopefully have Mohammed El Shabagi there, maybe Abdullah El Tanimi, trying to get some of the college coaches, like uh, I've spoken to Mike Way um, and a few of the other college coaches to come down and be a part of it. So it's going to be big, you know, trying to get, you know, some big numbers there and, um, and to get, get uh, the kids uh, involved in some of the pro players that I work with and some of the, you know, the coaches that I've got there. I've had a few sessions with Mike Way back in the day. Uh, I played for the, uh, the Nova Scotia men's uh, provincial team. And yeah. then he, he would come in, uh, you know, once or twice a year to give us a bit of a, you know, a bit of a tutorial. And uh, he once told yeah. me that my, my feet were, he, he, my movement was terrible and I, I moved around the court, but my feet were too heavy. So, feet were too heavy. Yeah, yeah, heavy footed. Uh, he right. said, yeah, yeah. So I've been mm-hmm. tra- still trying to, uh, you know, that uh, the, the memory of that sticks with me. So I've been uh, still trying yeah. to work on my uh, to being a little more light footed around the court. I think I, I think I'm better now. Yeah. You might be impressed. <laughs> <laughs> In my fifties, yeah. 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 Uh, but, uh, but yeah, uh, I mean, that, that, I mean, it sounds like. Uh, you got you've got a great team assembled. And one thing I wanted to say earlier, which I didn't, was uh, I mean the Australian uh, players, uh, the best ball strikers. I, I mean, around I would have. I mean yourself, your brother, uh, guys like a Stuart uh, Boswell, uh, 
uh, Ryan. I mean, you guys just hit the ball so well. And so fundamentally, your movement and, and things around the court are, you know, uh, role model type stuff. Uh, actually, a guy that I play that here in Dubai with me, he was on my, I don't know if you know him, but we, he played on my uh, pre- uh, Premier League team with me, uh, Pennington, Gavin Pennington. I don't know if you know the Oh, player. yeah. Yeah, 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 no, yeah, yeah. Oh Lord, I mean, he, I mean, he moved around the court so well for a big. He's big now, but uh, yeah, his yeah. movement and his ball striking was, you know, it was incredible. Yeah. It's just the the yeah. awesome way. Well, and I think, and I think, you know, well, it's it's you know, that's one thing I would say that people have got this sort of they sort of talk it as the Aussie style or whatever it is, and I don't I don't see it, that at all. I mean, it, it, there's plenty of coaches in Australia that don't coach or or talk about doing the things that I do as a coach. So there's all different you know, ways of doing things and the way people talk about coaching and things like that. But, you know, I think there's fundamental things that need to happen. And the most important thing is to get in the best possible position you can with your feet not too spread out when you're at the ball, you know, your preparation, your body position to the ball and, the, and your attacker, you know, your angle of attack at the ball, things like that. And that, that comes from working on certain fundamentals. And if you have those fundamentals, then, yeah, you can hit the ball well. And I think that's what shows up in the coaching that I've been involved with, with all the players that I've worked with, have got the similar things that they, they, they look like they hit the ball similar, not only their movement, but their, um, the, you know, their, uh, the way they strike the ball and their, their aggressive hitting and length and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So, and they can all put the ball away when they need to. Um, so it's, it's, it's all, the, all those things combined. Um, I, I look at it as a way of it's just bringing the best out of every player you, you you coach. And as I said, I follow a certain fundamental, but it's not the Aussie way. It's I think it's it's it, you look at all all different players that have come through. You know, I've got someone like Jonathan Power. You know, I know you like talking about Jonathan, and uh, yeah. um, <laughs> one one of the things about him, like he had, you know, he could hold the ball and do different things with his wrist and flick the ball and do things. But when you really analyze when he's under pressure you know, on the backhand side deep or cutting the ball off three-quarter court, you watch, you, you look at his swing and it's a very fundamentally correct sound position he gets in. Yeah. So that's what you should be looking at as a, as a coach or someone analysing his game, not looking at all the fancy stuff he does because he's got the ability to do that. And if you're going to follow that, that, that line of thinking that you want to do things with the ball and flick your racket and drop your racket head and do things like that, you're probably not going to have the ability to do it like he did. So well, I mean, you he, need he to look at the he able to do that because he could set it up with fundamental, you know, with with his good length game, basically. Well, yeah, but again, he, he had a fundamental swing, yeah, that got him out of trouble, that he hit the ball well, things like that. It wasn't the all the fancy stuff, you know. So I think that's where people get this. They're not looking at the right things when they're looking at him. Um, they should look at that side of things first to then have the ability to maybe you know, manipulate the racket head a little bit or whatever if they would want to do that. But it's really about, you know, the, the sound fundamentals that he had that allowed him to sit, you hit the ball to where he needed to, to set up those positions, which gave him some time to do things with the ball, you know? Absolutely. Now, uh, one, one thing that's uh, come up on my podcast when I've talked uh, to a few of the guys on the tour, I think Cameron Pilly, uh, maybe Chris Binney, even uh, we've t- I talked a little bit about golf, and your brother's name always comes up as one of the guys who's a, an excellent golfer. I, I, I don't know if uh, uh, how your game is these days, uh, Rodney, but uh, how, how's the? Uh, obviously, you're not playing much. Uh, it's a bit cold out there. Maybe a little bit of snow, but uh, how's no. That, but I mean, my, my golf, my golf is my 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 golf is my sport outside squash. Um, I play a lot of golf back back in Australia. I do things. Um, my handicap's gone from it sort of goes between uh, plus one and two. Okay. So, so I'm sort of in that range all the time. Um, so yeah, depending how much I play, um, I can get down to sort of plus still, one. Still hitting it over 300 off the tee? Uh, no, I wouldn't say that, you know, maybe a little shorter these days, but uh, I still hit the ball out. I mean, I still play with a lot of younger guys and I hit the ball as far as them. So, yeah. or almost as far. So, it's not like it's that. Again, it's a technical thing. You know, you can, you can still generate power even though you're, you know, getting older. You can still good, when you get up with the young guys and uh, you, you outdrive them every now and then, that, that, that's yeah. – yeah, that, yeah. Those are proud moments. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it's – yeah, it's, it's hitting like that. It's more about, you know, the accuracy for me. It's like trying to, yeah. you know, not miss a fairway and, you know, getting up and down when you need to, that sort of stuff. And 
that's what saves your score. Yeah, absolutely. And putting. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, especially yeah. Can't, you can't miss those five-footers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Rodney, uh, this, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, uh, talking to you today. And, uh, you know, I could go on for, for hours here. I, I took lots of notes here, but uh, you've been, it's been an hour and uh, really appreciate your time. I want to wish you all the best with your coaching, with your family, uh, getting through these difficult times. And uh, thank you so much for today. No problem. That's been enjoyable. Thanks. Well, that was absolutely awesome. Many thanks to Rodney for his time today. It was a, an amazing experience for me. Of course, as I, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Rodney was a hero of mine growing up uh, back in the mid-80s when I first took up the game. He was at uh, the top of the game and one of the guys that, that we all tried to emulate back then. And now he's uh, doing great things on the coaching side of things and uh, be looking forward to hopefully having him back on. So uh, anyways, again, thanks so much uh, to Rodney and thank you for listening. Uh, please share the pod with uh, your squash community give us a like and a retweet uh, on on uh, twitter instagram facebook what have you uh, please do that if you don't mind and uh, we've got a few really uh, interesting episodes coming up in the next few days so stay tuned for those thanks again for listening and have a great day goodbye now